This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here like we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well today, man. Uh, we are getting back to our season previews. This time we're taking a trip, but uh, not going too far going over to the bay and we're going to be talking about the golden state warriors today with daniel hardy of golden state of mind how are you doing today daniel i'm doing pretty swell uh it's a sweltering uh 90 degrees out here in walnut creek i'm recording this podcast right now how hot is it for you guys i don't know i think it's finally it's below 100 i think i me and rich are a little bit apart but i want to say low 90s today it's been bad, but I think I think we've seen our last hundred degree day. I hope I hope and pray, honestly. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that uh, the prospects of this new Sacramento King should be heating things up for you guys. There we go, and I guess it's cooling down a little bit in Golden State. It's a good little How segue dare you? into. How dare you? <laughs> I mean, guys, we are professionals at podcasting. That was so. Uh, that was money. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> I guess there's not much room to go up and room to go down when you're probably the best roster ever constructed. And I guess that's how we want to start. We're going to go, we're going to focus on offseason and next year, but talking on last year, the last year of Kevin Durant being on the team, 57 and 25, and then losing in the NBA finals with those injuries. What were your takeaways and feelings from kind of feeling the closing of a chapter last season? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, it was tough watching the team uh, have its last uh, hoorah at the uh, old Oracle Arena and to have it go down the way it did where, you know, with both teams healthy, it was going to be a, a tough matchup either way. But um, I thought the Warriors had a pretty good edge going into it, um, which I think we saw briefly in uh, game uh, five when Kevin Durant came back. But um, the whole thing was just a crazy stressful thing because, you know, Kevin Durant had missed uh, two games in the Rocket Series the entire sweep of the, the Portland series. And then here comes the finals. And we're thinking he's coming back game one or game two. And it's like, actually, no. So it was weird because each game, as competitive as it was, it was like we have another gear to get to. If only we had, you know, superstar, two-time back-to-back finals MVP, Kevin Durant. And so when we t- to have him for that, that brief amount of time and to have him go off, I think he had like 12 points in 13 minutes, something like that. And it was like, okay. Kevin Durant on the on the floor is clearly the huge difference maker that no one can stop, as, as we knew already. And to see him go down like that, it was kind of jarring. 
And then to see Clay go down, it was jarring. You know, it's, it was tough. I'm getting kind of emotional. You see, I'm thinking about it right now. Um, but to the point that not only did we lose the finals, and then Kevin Durant's like, I'm out. And then we have to trade Andre Iguodala. And then you lose Sean Livingston. Um, you lose Quinn Cook. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins is gone. That's a lot of roster turnover for a team that had prided itself on consistency over the last five years. Um, so... Looking back over the offseason, uh, adding D'Angelo Russell was a huge piece, obviously, because he's young. Um, and I'm pretty sure he can break a box in one zone defense that killed us when Clay went down and Kevin Durant without in the finals. Um, so it's, it's great to have some youth there. Um, but the, the roster turnover is so high. And with the injury to Clay, he, you know, may not be back to the spring at the earliest. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, I wouldn't say anxiety. Um, but as you said, when you've been at the top, for so long and so so consistently after being garbage for 40 years, basically, um, you kind of wish that you could maintain that and keep it rolling. You know, in your mind, you're thinking, well, hey, Michael and Scotty got six. If we keep that Hampton's five together, the sky's the limit. And then had bro- broken up, which I feel kind of prematurely. Um, it's definitely a, a stinging feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely some whiplash with this team uh, going from such a high high to a lot of adversity and it's tough because Steph does, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but, but Steph does kind of define this era for the golden state warriors. But in another way, it it does feel like a lot has changed. And I mean, would it be crazy to say that, that the warriors are entering a new age, a new, is this a new era for the golden state warriors? Well, I think so. Uh, I mean, of course, when you leave Oracle Arena and all the history there, that's huge. So it's having a new arena in San Francisco. That's massive on its own. Um, so the fan base itself is feeling that shift. I mean, we're seeing, you know, ticket prices for the, the Chase Center are going to be, you know, pretty pricey compared to what they were in, in Oracle. So just the, the the fan base itself getting to the games could be um, a different factor there. And we know how important strength in numbers was uh, in Dub Nation in Oakland. So uh, with the fan base shifting, that's a huge part. But also, of course, um, losing Andre Iguodala. I mean, of course, losing KD is tough just because he's a superstar assassin who can rip your heart at any moment. Um, but losing Andre Iguodala, that corporate knowledge, the guy who sacrificed really set the tone for the strength in numbers era, a guy who, you know, uh, could be the grown up in the room, as Steve Kerr would say, losing him uh, really, really, you know, is kind of a, a gut punch. So now you look at it, Steph, Draymond and Clay they're kind of the elder statesmen on the team now. You know, when guys are looking for advice, they'll be going to those guys. There's no more David West, Sean Livingston's guys, you know, who were rotation players who could, you know, coach those young guys up. The young guys who we had before are now kind of the older guys who are kind of moving to the, the, the teeth of their prime. So it'll be fascinating to watch how Steph and Clay and Dre uh, move into those super mentorship roles. And um, I kind of draw a parallel to the San Antonio Spurs, you know, when David Robinson left and it was Tim Duncan's team. And, you know, you could kind of see Tony Parker and Monty Ginobili growing up under him. And then at a certain point, it was like, OK, these three are the older dogs on the team. And, uh, you know, it's up to the uh, leadership. And I feel pretty, pretty confident in that. But I definitely feel like it's, it's a new era. I mean, considering the fact that, you know, before Kevin Durant came, you know, Steph was the two time back to back MVP, including the unanimous year. And he's got a lot of tread left on those tires, we hope. So it's very fascinating to see if we get, you know, with, with Clay out for most of the season, if we get a full season of nonstop Steph Curry laying the smackdown, which I think is very entertaining and uh, could see some records fall down. 
Yeah, I know he's second favorite for MVP voting behind the recent MVP in Giannis. And you mentioned Steph, uh, Clay going down and he's always been the running mate. It reminds me of kind of, you know, the Pippin to Jordan where I feel like Clay is very underrated in the amount of impact he's had in setting the, the culture and saying that the Warriors really changed the NBA with a three point shooting. And since his his rookie year, he played 66 games. Aside from that, he's played over 77 games, except for 17-18 when he played 73. And then he has this ACL injury. What are your expectations for next year and what you're seeing when Clay comes back? I've kind of seen varying timelines and the impact that he'll be able to have when he does return from that. And I also want to throw in, Clay is one of the toughest guys in the league. The fact that he ran right. back out after the ACL and is jumping up and down, look ready to play <laughs> the rest of the game after that was so crazy to me. Oh, totally, man. Clay is one tough son of a gun. And uh, thankfully, we were able to get him off the court before... He was jumping up and down too much. Can you imagine, you know, KD going down with the Achilles injury and then uh, Clay's leg imploding in the finals? People would have had to file a class action lawsuit against the Warriors training staff. <laughs> but um, I was, uh, I was really just moved by his eye, uh, his grit and his toughness. So um, he seems like he's in pretty good spirits from all his Instagram videos. Uh, so I expect him to come back heavy. I mean, Draymond's already mentioned that uh, Clay's extremely excited to come back with the underdog kind of chip on his shoulder. So. Um, you know, with modern medicine, ACLs can be um, returned back from fairly easily, although I'm not the one getting my knee cut open in the rehab. But, you know, as we see, those can come back for sure um, better than ever. So um, in the meantime, in his absence, there will be an interesting opportunity for some other guys to kind of show that they can run with uh, Steph and Dre. I mean, considering the fact you got D'Lo, who this guy has a... a a monstrous chip on the shoulder. You know, what happened in L.A. with the Nick Young fiasco? You get kind of exiled to Brooklyn. Brooklyn finally makes the playoffs in huge part, according to his uh, excellent play, makes the all-star team, and then they immediately ship him out uh, to get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. So this guy really hasn't found a home. And, you know, a lot of people have speculated that he's only here as a rental, uh, as a trade chip, even though Bob Myers and Steve Kerr have said that they want to, you know, groom him because, you know, you can't buy H. This guy's a a youngster with a huge future ahead of him. So if he can come in there and uh, take some of the ball handling responsibilities of Steph Curry, that makes a pretty dangerous mix as far as offensively because you have two playmakers who can shoot the long ball, get to the rim, and uh, distribute and playmake. The issue with that may be the defensive end. Uh, I don't think uh, D'Lo's especially known for his defense, although I certainly hope for uh, improvement there under the coaching staff. But... Um, I don't think it'd be a, a crazy thing to say that Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell aren't exactly Alcatraz. You know, they won't be locking too many people up, probably. But I would love to be surprised. Um, but in the meantime, you also have some uh, intriguing propositions, uh, youngsters. We've got uh, uh, Jacob Evans III, who was uh, a rookie last year. Um, now he has the opportunity to show that in that combo guard role, he can you know handle some point guard responsibilities off the bench. And also, he's a more rugged defender than those two guys. So if he steps up his, his development, that would be huge uh, for the backcourt situation there. And of course, the youngster, uh, Jordan Poole, who I saw in Summer League, this dude's a gamer, okay? Uh, this kid was hurling his body around into traffic, making tough shots. I mean, he's shooting daggers in the people's faces. I was like, okay, this guy here can carve out some playing time if he, you know, gets his defense right. Um, so I feel like 
in Clay's absence, there's a couple different pieces there that the Warriors can still kind of play their pace and space offense there. Um, but of course, defense will be of some concern in Clay's absence for sure. I mean, it'd be nice to have, you know, Buddy Heald and uh, De'Aaron Fox, you know, stuff like that. But hey, you know, we've had uh, plenty of success already. We can't have everybody. Right. And like you said, you know, there are, it's obviously the injury stuff here is significant. And I wonder, I wonder about Steph Curry because he's not a guy that was hurt uh, in that run in the finals last year, but he's a guy that's had injury history, significant injury history. Um, only played 69 games last season, 51 the year before that. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, he's done pretty well before that. He had the, the one ankle injury that actually allowed the Warriors to get him at a bargain on his second contract and maybe potentially create the dynasty that, that became the Warriors. But with his lowering uh, number of games each season, I wonder if he's going to be on a minutes restriction. And I also wonder if there's some sense in trading for D'Angelo Russell, not to use him as a trade chip, but more to use him as a pair of 23-year-old legs that can go out there, play 38 minutes a game if need be uh, for 82 games. I mean, that's the type of guy that the Warriors could frankly use. They need minutes. They need, they need uh, fresh legs. And I wonder... Does it seem like you mentioned the Spurs comparison, and I think it's a good one, but Pop is the kind of, the kind of coach that will strategically schedule out rest. Do you think that Curry might get that treatment uh, going into his 30s here? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I mean, the first thing that pops in my mind immediately is can the Warriors afford to arrest him for prolonged periods considering the fact that the West is crazy right now? I mean... There are so many teams that are at the at the top stacked up pretty good. You know what I mean? And then at the bottom there, it's a crapshoot. There's probably 10 or 11 teams that have legitimate shots at getting the playoffs there. So is it a thing where you rest Steph Curry five games and you miss the playoffs by one game? You know what I mean? So that's where I wonder just how much they can rest them because at the, at the end of the day, um, you don't want to waste prime Steph Curry. You only have him for so many years. And uh, at the same time, you don't want to exhaust him. So that balance of uh, finding when to rest and when to cut him loose, I mean, I'm sure he wants to play all E2, I bet. But as you said before, the numbers show he can be sort of an injury liability. I mean, even in the playoffs last year, remember the the, the, the finger injury? The man couldn't make a layup for like a week. Like, it was like, whoa, uh, is he a liability out there? And then, of course, he dropped like 33 points and a half and ended the Chris <laughs> Paul, James Harden t- team forever. But there are some injury concerns there for sure. And um, I'm just fascinated to see how the Warriors coaching staff is going to deal with these young guns. You know, we've got a lot of new faces there. And um, the great part about having Kevin Durant was that we could uh, rest Steph and other guys having the luxury of having another MVP there to pick up the slack. Um, with that gone there, you rest Steph Curry, you're basically taking the young guys and throw them to the Wolves, which long-term could be pretty awesome. But short-term, it's like, do you want to win this year? And if so... You're probably going to have to sell out Steph Curry a lot, considering Clay Thompson is there. So I believe the Warriors want to win. Um, I believe they see the way the league is shaking up, and a lot of folks are saying, you know, ding-dong, the dubs are dead. Um, so I'm pretty sure they want to come back, make the playoffs, and make some noise. Um, but, of course, if Steph Curry's hurt, it's going to be hard to do that. So it's a great question, and hopefully Steve Curry has the answers. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I want to focus on the new backcourt partner partner with Steph. When Steph is on the floor with D'Angelo, which assuming will be a starting lineup here for a little while, like you touched on, D'Lo was known for a crazy usage last year. He had the ball in his hands a lot. Most run play was a D'Lo and Jared Allen pick and roll. Part of that was because Brooklyn kind of felt like they needed the creator do you feel like D'Angelo is going to have the ball in his hands a lot here? Also, we know Steph is great at playing off ball as well as on ball. Um, do you think that D'Lo is mainly going to be the ball handler in that lineup, which also takes a little bit away from Draymond's strengths? And how do you feel like he will fare when he's not the ball handler there? Well, Coach Kerr already said that they're going to run a heavy dose of pick and roll and change things up. As you know, before the Warriors were pretty much dead last in pick and rolls uh, per game in the regular season and cranked it up during the postseason, you know, because, you know, in the postseason, it's such a grind to get buckets that you, you might have to span certain actions. I mean, you got Steph Curry, who may be the greatest pick and roll player in the history of the game, um, and Kevin Durant, you know, which is like having Batman and Superman out there. So with that a- aspect gone, the high pick and roll with Dre has killed many franchises. Um, so I would assume that D'Lo and Draymond will be working on that. I saw a couple of videos of them actually practicing that. And so I'm assuming that, that that may be heavily leaned on because we know Draymond is such a great point forward. Um, and of course, you you can run Steph around screens. You can put him in the corner. And his gravity is so ridiculous that he darn near draws two defenders just wherever he is regardless. So that could open up the floor a lot for the Warriors, which I think – this year, easy buckets are at a premium. Like, seriously, like, there's going to be some situations where you're going to have Draymond, Kevon Looney, and your old boy, uh, Willie Cauley Stein, on the floor at the same time, just for defensive purposes and for rebounding. Okay, so then where's the offense coming from? It's going to be up to, you know, Steph and D'Lo to figure it out there. Um, I believe that they're kind of interchangeable in a way as though, you know, um, I mean, we haven't seen D'Lo running around screens as much because that wasn't the offense. But if we can get D'Lo um, and that kind of, Clay Thompson light mode where he's sprinting around, sprinting around. Then you have an option where when the ball swings, you have playmakers who can catch the ball and go in a triple threat. They're shooting, they're going to the basket, or they're passing. I think in recent years when you when you haven't had, you know, uh, Katie on the floor, it's been Andre Iguodala or Sean Livingston to take the responsibility. Well, they're gone now. So who's going to, you know, dribble the ball and make plays while throwing into the stands or, you know, making a stupid shot? That's going to be on D-Lo to um, handle that. So... I feel strangely confident um, about D'Lo just because I know that he doesn't want to fail, man. Like this is this is his time. Like you have all the minutes that you can you can ever ask for, and you're in the place that values winning, you know, above all things. So if you can't win here, buddy, you can't win anywhere. And I believe that he's a winner. I believe he's a gamer, and I think that his uh, tandem with Steph Curry is gonna. Terrorize a few teams, and where they have some trouble, that's where Draymond's gonna have to come in and run the point forward. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. So we're fully into the D-Lo conversation, and I want to talk about what the Warriors gave up for him 
And it was more than just the one transaction because it did cause a chain of events, kind of a domino effect throughout the roster where, you know, you could reasonably say that moving on from Iguodala uh, and also the first round pick that was involved in that uh, was, you know, essentially part of that trade because it, it was in, in order to, to take in that salary they needed to shed Iguodala's and then they also basically were extremely restricted in, in the moves that they could make after that. Mm-hmm. But, but the Russell trade itself was uh, a sign and trade with Kevin Durant and uh, their own protected 2021 first. And they got back Shabazz uh, Napier. They got back Trayvon Graham, but moved them to Minnesota. And I mean, what was your feeling about the value of this trade? I mean, we could have got nothing. You know, that was, that was the cold part. Like, when the news first broke, it's like Kevin Durant's gone. It was like, oh, well, you know, we're cash-strapped, and that's it. We're going to have to just figure it out. But at the time, I was thinking, well, we'll at least keep, you know, the core four. Uh, Steph, Clay, Dre, and uh, Andre Iguodala. Um, but then when Andre Iguodala got moved, um, it was like, okay, so we're trying to save money to do what? And then when D'Lo's name comes up, it was like, oh, okay. Now, of course, I wasn't thinking we need another guard, so to speak, even though with Clay Thompson injured, you, you know, at the time I wasn't thinking, you know, if we had another guard, that'd be perfect. But then when you think about the upside, I mean, the dude is, you know, a youngster, like early, early 20s, and again, with a chip on his shoulder, he has so much to prove. If there was ever a time to get the most value out of this guy, it'd be now. I mean, how often do you get 23-year-old All-Stars um, who want to win as bad as Deal does? Um, so... Obviously, the idea of KD for D'Lo straight up, I would never do. But then think about this. Kevin Durant, a lot of mileage on those legs. As we saw, the Achilles didn't hold up. How much more does Kevin Durant have in him? I hope it's 100%. I would love for him to go out there and ball out in Brooklyn. I mean, not too much and beat the Warriors, but still ball out and be healthy. But at the same time, seven-footers coming back from Achilles. Um, I mean, Boogie Cousins, cautionary tale. Um, I don't know how how well K's going to bounce back, even though I hope it's amazing. When you get a young dealer with fresh legs, I mean, just bang for your buck, you might want to hedge your bet going that way. And considering the fact that we didn't have to get him, it's a pretty huge deal, I believe, for the Warriors franchise. And, of course, if it's not working out, they can flip him because I guarantee you people will be salivating at the chance of getting a youngster with that kind of upside. So... Um, I got to give big kudos to Bob Myers there. Um, and considering the fact that we kept Kevon Looney, which I think was maybe the second biggest um, move of the offseason, I thought he was gone. The dude really, really came on strong last year. Um, he's one of the various big men parties that, that the Warriors have had for years. I mean, if you, if you go back to Anthony Randolph, <laughs> where I thought this guy was a future Hall of Famer, and then now he's playing in like probably Greece somewhere or something like that. Uh, Troy Murphy, a guy I was like, oh, he's the next Dirk. And that didn't work out too great. Um, so to finally get a big man, I mean, even um, uh, um, Jordan Bell, uh, Damian Jones, our, our recent projects, uh, where it was like, oh, these guys are going to be forces. And it's kind of hit or miss where it's like, well, if you can't play with Steph, you know, KD, Clay, and Dre, like, can you play? Kevon Looney was the guy who stamped his ticket, seized the moment, and showed that he can defend smalls, defend bigs. He's confident with the ball, not a turnover machine. And supposedly he has a pretty decent long-range jumper that, you know, he's had under wraps, which he'll need this season. So I feel like if you get uh, D'Lo, 
and you retain Looney in a, in a very switching league where you need bigs who can get out there and guard guys. So we saw him shutting down Chris Paul in the playoffs last year. Like that, that's ridiculous for your you know power forward slash center to do. So um, having those two guys with Looney also being his early twenties, that is just a, a massive opportunity for the Warriors to rebuild on the fly while still keeping their stars. Um, if we can keep the big three, you know, dominating while adding in Looney and adding in uh, D'Lo then that's a for sure playoff team in the West. And quite frankly, um, I do have some questions for you guys about uh, Willie Cauley-Stein. Um, basically, the w- word around going to the mind is that he's like younger, smarter JaVale McGee. Um, how would you guys feel about that assessment? Oof. Um, a smarter, I don't know. JaVale's an interesting comp, except I feel like you get more effort on the defensive end from JaVale. Which okay. he isn't always in the right place, JaVale or Collie Stein, but there were so many times. The most frustrating thing with Collie Stein was consistency. You know, some nights he'd go out, be able to pull down 12, 13 boards, and then the next night he'd have literally zero. So you really Wait, don't what? know. Yeah. <laughs> you really don't know what you're getting night to night with Collie Stein. I do think that a D-Lo Collie Stein pick and roll, Collie Stein can catch lobs, throw it down. He has a nice touch around the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, but the defense is a big, it, it's not there. It's not there. I really worry about that with Collie Stein and kind of to go off the Looney thing. Looney's the starter for this team, right? Of course. Okay. Just making sure, you know, you see crazy people out there. Don't know what they're talking about. I'm assuming. Um, and the last to kind of close up this D thing as well, or actually, on, do you on, want to get on, anything on. in on this rich? I got, I got to get some thoughts here on Collie Stein. Uh, people hate me for, I, I am not allowed to ever say his name according to many people on Twitter and Reddit, but, uh, you asked and I, I have to answer. And I, I agree very much with what Brandon said there that, uh, JaVale is a great comp. Honestly, if, uh, you subtract like three blocks a game from his stat line, uh, it's a, ve- it's a very similar comp. I'll tell you, but in all honesty with Collie Stein, he's got tremendous, athletic and offensive potential as a rim runner. Uh, if you're going to be playing fast, if you're going to be playing in transition a lot, he's a great asset to have on the offensive side of the ball. It is all with defense with him, all with effort, effort and consistency, you know, like Brendan mentioned, but also, you know, as someone who covers the team, I'll warn you against, you know, maybe what I'll say is you'll, you'll like Colestein more if you don't read and, and don't watch the post games, uh, the post game interviews, because that was the issue that I think created such a division amongst Kings fans with him was that he he really talked about wanting to get paid a lot. He talked about it all the time, and he defended it repeatedly up until a week before he was uh, finally signed by Golden State. Uh, he said, you know, he's like, I don't understand why people don't get this. Like, this is what playing basketball is about. It's about getting paid. And then, you know, and he talked about getting these $20 million a year. Like, he, he was very clear and transparent with the press that he expected $20 million a year. And he got, you know, about 10% of that. So <laughs> The poor thing uh, is comps. Yeah, I mean, he wants to be he wants to be an outside shooter. And he we've looked it up recently. Wait, I'm people. sorry. Pause that. You said he wants to be an outside shooter? Oh, yeah. That's he, been his thing. He, he wants to – he considers himself, you know, Kristaps Porzingis-type player and <laughs> – and we've looked, you know, at the numbers very in depth, even on pick and pops, where he has, you know, open looks 
at the basket many times, and he's got the space to shoot, set up and shoot. He's, you know, like in the about the 15th percentile on those, and those are on very selective. You know, he's only shooting when he's completely open. He's going to be a frustrating player. But I'll tell you, for the money that you got him at, I think that's a bargain. I think that because your team has a great coach and that they don't need him to play 25 minutes a night, that, you know, the Warriors are as likely as anyone to get uh, a great return on, on value for that contract. So for with that, I'll, and, hopefully I'll never have to discuss Kapasan um, <laughs> again because people hate it when I do that. And if anyone is going to get the effort <laughs> out of him, it's Steve Kerr and Draymond Green screaming his ear off. <laughs> Dang. Wow. Well, uh, I heard it here live first. Um, <laughs> Willie Cauley-Stein, work in progress. That's good to know. Thanks, guys. <laughs> he is. Yeah. I mean, there's potential. You know, like I said, you have him as a rim runner and he actually accepts that. Then it's interesting, especially a D'Lo Cauley-Stein pick and roll, I feel like can be successful. Um, but well, like I guess a, my, my question is, you know, on that team, I saw that you guys, I think was, I think I have the stat here, but I think you were like 16th in the league in, um, did I have a stat 16th, sorry, 20th in the league in three point attempts, um, uh, which I was kind of surprised by considering the, the guys you have who can shoot the ball. Like, you know, I know, uh, Buddy and, uh, Fox can definitely wet the net. Um, but 20th in attempts. Was Colin Stein's issue there a lack of spacing? It was part of it. And that's also why Bagley ended up not starting a good amount of games because Colin Stein was the center and you needed the spacing from Bielitsa. Um, mm-hmm. So having Deadman's mm-hmm. definitely a big part of that here now. So, yeah, he, he does very much hurt the spacing. And he'll so, pull up these mid-ranges. He hurts the spacing, but I don't think that his issue was a lack of spacing. And yes... Like the volume has not been there for the Kings, but the efficiency has been. They've been top one or two or three in terms of uh, three point percentage. So it's not, especially last year where Bielitsa started 70 games and he's basically camped out in the three point line. I don't personally think that that's going to unlock, you know, it's any. <laughs> It, Wait, when really, you, bro? Really, bro? I'm, I'm trying to give my new player some love, and you're going to shut it down immediately? Thanks, bro. <laughs> when, when you add... Okay, so the, the the Warriors have better spacing than anybody. So you, you're, there's going to be more spacing that's going to be a good thing. But I don't think that it was... You know, I think that last year was... I think that many people thought that would have been the issue. And last year, there was a ton more spacing on this team, and it didn't didn't solve the problem. So, I'll so what was your base rotation last year? So if you got Cauley Science starting and you got Bagley and Giles coming off the bench? Yes. Wow, and they're so good. That seems like a waste of their talent. Yeah. Well, Giles- there's a there's a reason our coach isn't isn't our coach anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because like I remember the, the, the last game uh, of the matchup between both teams last year, and each game went down in like the last yeah. second, you know. So I remember the last game in Oakland when uh, I think Bagley had like like twenty four and sixteen, and he was like giving honest to goodness straight up post moves, balling with it. And I was like, this kid's only nineteen. Like, uh, is he starting? And then Collie Stein was starting, so I just assumed maybe you know it was a thing like don't play the rookies or something like that. But it was clear that Bagley's talent was superior. Yeah, I, was that the game that he kept getting stripped by KD, and then the last time he finally brought it through and drew a foul? Yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was. 
Yeah, that was a great game. I will say, like you said, every Golden State game were one of the more entertaining ones. There was the one where the ball got jammed between the rim. There was a jump ball with like five seconds left max in the game. There was the buddy threes that he got chewed out for almost bringing the team back. They yeah. were very entertaining games. Yeah, I, I was in Oakland for that one when uh, when Buddy took a three. That was a good shot. And uh, and I believe he made it. And Jaeger he did, yeah. was furious with him about taking that shot. And then he had a shot on the next possession to yeah. win the game, and he passed it up. Dude, uh, I just yeah. watched that highlight like 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 an hour ago, and I, I, he's wide open. And I'm thinking, oh, why didn't he shoot that? That was weird. So now I have the backstory to know that his coach chewed him out for being a shooter. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's gone. That's good for you guys. It, it is and it isn't. You know, it's tough. I, I think that Jaeger is a guy that was very divisive. I, I think that he had some he had some definite rotation issues, definitely some head scratchers. But as far as, you know, taking this team to, what, add 13, 12, 13 wins in a year, it's such a big jump that I personally would have liked to see the team overlook some of the interpersonal tensions between him and, and uh, uh, the assistant GM, and as, as well as uh, there was some obvious tension with Marvin Bagley's father getting in the mix. A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of uh, salt on Instagram back and forth. <laughs> well, I guess just one way. But Jaeger, you know, for, honestly, uh, what I'll say about Jaeger is that he's he's kind of carried this reputation of being a guy who's tough to work with. Like many, like many great coaches and many great players are. But, uh, you know, I, I think that it's really hard to see him go as well because we associate so much of that growth with him. Wow, that sounds the real Mark Jackson-y, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's You'd be hope. shocked. People say compare that all the time. People really do. Yeah. Well, then you guys have a bright sailing ahead because you got Luke Walton coming in, a guy who I feel maybe got a raw deal in L.A. Um, I mean, not – Totally raw. I mean, obviously the team was having some uh, cohesion issues, especially when LeBron came. But um, I I feel like the dude's a smart dude. You know, I feel like he knows the game, and I feel like when he gets the the pieces in place, like he knows how to use big men who can post up. Like it won't be a problem. You know what I mean? So with those two uh, Thundercats you got down low, and I mean, dude, the the Fox healed uh, backcourt. Is disgusting. It's nasty. Like it's just like speed and and slashing and then drilling you from like dang near half court. So when I see those together, if Luke Walton can't coach his team to a playoff berth, the, the man shouldn't coach. Yeah, and I think that this team has a set identity with that pace that the Lakers didn't quite have, and he was stuck kind of figuring out. But the very pat last piece of this D'Angelo trade was you grab Shabazz Napier and Travion Graham, two what I think are serviceable role players. And then instantly sent them to Minnesota. They're both under $2 million. Do you feel like you should have maybe kept them around? Because I look at this roster, and I don't know who the backup point guard is, unless you're staggering maybe Stefan Russell. You know, I actually just wrote an article a day about um, replacing Quinn Cook and the ramifications thereof. Like, a lot of Warriors fans love Quinn Cook the man, like, as a human being, great dude. Quinn Cook, the player, there was it was some you know hit and miss kind of things there because the guy would shoot like forty percent regular season and then playoffs would come he's thirty two percent and can't break a box in one zone and is getting tortured on the defensive end so it was like great camaraderie steady ball handler his assist to turnover ratio was uh, pretty good pretty solid for a backup guy 
And, you know, regular season could knock down some shots. But it seemed like when the, the lights were on the playoffs, he was getting targeted on both ends there. And it just was a weird kind of feeling because it was like, well, dang, Steph can't do everything. So I think right now the the Warriors' mentality is, okay, let's stop looking for, you know, the Ian Clarks, the Justin Holidays to kind of fill in the shoes for Steph, even though they did an admirable job for what they could do. But what if we put a guy in there with some star potential behind Steph? So if he gets injured or if he's worn down, you got somebody in there who can have a higher ceiling on the game. And that's where I think we're looking at with Jacob Evans and uh, Jordan Poole. Um, two guys they, they drafted with the hopes of taking the game over and creating their own offense and, uh, in, in Evans' case, being somewhat of a defensive stopper. Um, so I think that's why they didn't go with Shabazz. And seeing uh, how much run Poole and Evans got in Summer League, it's pretty clear the Warriors are going all in with those uh, youngsters uh, to back up Steph. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse, and we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it, and, and thank you very much for listening. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's interesting because I remember at the time when all the, those trades happened in sequence, there were, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty plugged in with the cap nerd uh, demographic of Twitter uh, follow mm-hmm. a lot of those guys that uh, do great work on on deciphering uh, all that stuff, and they mm-hmm. were all like panicking. Like I don't even like they're all saying like I don't even know how the Warriors are going to fill their roster out at this point. <laughs> so I think there was honestly like Shabazz and Travion. Like were I there are two players that I've expressed uh, that I like their potential quite a bit on uh, on this podcast before. But I think that even with their modest salaries, there was an issue with getting them on the team and filling out the roster. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, too. Jacob Evans is a guy who I haven't been super impressed by. I got to see him at the California Classic. Uh, there's something to like. He was good at Cincinnati. Uh, you know, there's something to like there. But I remember watching him and being, like, having this dawning realization, like, oh, man, this guy could, like, start some games at small forward. That's how thin this roster is with the injuries and with the departures. Mm-hmm. But and, and on that point, though, I'll say I think D'Angelo Russell – what I've thought about it more and more, and I think it makes sense to keep D'Angelo Russell because we've talked about Clay Thompson as one of the best shooting guards in the league. Obviously, everyone talks about that. But yeah. we've also talked about him as if you broke down positions and you got rid of them and you talked about what you want from a small forward and what you need from a small forward, a guy that can defend opposing threes, a guy that can shoot it, a guy that can work off ball, you know, Clay is actually 
Like, yes, he's one of the best shooting guards in the league, but if you just stripped it down, or like, who would be the best guys to play small forward in the league? I think he's up there, quite frankly. And you could really pair Curry and, and Russell and Clay and actually kind of fill the needs that, that the one, two, and three kind of require there. Yeah, I think they're going to have to slide Clay to the three. The only thing that I'm concerned about is. You know, Clay was the, the the point guard defender. Like whoever the opposing team's um, star point guard was, it was like sit Clay on him and watch him disappear. So if you got Clay at the three and you're running basically a smaller lineup, that means that whoever the three is, um, I mean, think about it, the Warriors in the finals, they've lost to who LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. Why? Because they didn't have an answer for a monster at that position. And historically, the Warriors issue. Um, they thought Harrison Barnes would be the answer, um, but I'll get back to him later. The The point is, if you put Clay at the three and you say, go get Kawhi, sure, he can. But now you're saying, Steph, we need you to chase down somebody else. At the guard position, D-Lo, chase down somebody else. Which, for Steph, that workload is going to be tough, point blank. And, um, you know, he's the MVP. He can deal with it. But at the same time, the Warriors system was so used to sit clay on the, on, on the point guard. If you move him to the three and having to do with those big threes out there, it's like you're putting Steph in a lot of position to get in foul trouble and D'Lo who no one's raving about his defense yet. Can he lock down a point guard in a point guard league? So um, I think clay will have to play the three, but there is some concerns there for the defense for sure. Yeah. Very least the, the uh, rim protection and defense down low seems like you're still doing all right. You know, you got Draymond on that extension which and Looney as well that we touched on has switchability, decent rim protection himself. And maybe we can get into that Draymond extension a little bit. I feel like that was one of the bigger wins of this offseason. The next year's um, offseason and free agent class is very weak. Draymond could have got a lot of money and you got him for $25 million annually. Actually, well, it increases. So it's starting at 18, I believe. I mean, you had to be ecstatic with bringing Draymond back, right? Especially after losing, like you mentioned, Iggy, who probably was the one to guard those small forwards, and uh, Katie as well, two of the five of the Hampton Five. No, totally, dude. Like, uh, whew, like the whole year, everyone was saying, like, uh-oh, Draymond made KD upset. That means Draymond's gone. And it was just, like, weird because, you know, Draymond's the guy who does the dirty work. Draymond guards the seven-footers and the point guards. Draymond's the guy who charges the team up. Draymond gets the ball movement. You know what I mean? Like, against Portland, he destroyed Portland. I felt bad for Myers Leonard. I felt bad for Zach Collins. I was like, oh, you guys have no chance. Like, this dude's going to, like, chew your heart up. And then you say, well, you know, a lot of folks were saying, the talking heads, oh, yeah, this guy's expendable. You know, he can't shoot the ball, da 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 this dude is uh, a throwback, you know? I mean, he's to me, he's like Dennis Rodman with more of a jump shot. I mean, how do you get rid of a defensive player of the year, a guy who is such a terror and a middle linebacker out there? And then on the other side, he's basically a point guard. Um, so having him back for relatively cheap was huge, and I also think it's great for the sense of the fan base because when you're losing Kevin Durant, Iguodala, and Livingston in the same offseason, there's kind of an idea like, so are we just keeping, you know, the light-skinned guys, you know, <laughs> uh, Stephen Clay, and that's it? You know, what's, what's going on there? So for Draymond to come back. And also, I think it was very validating for Draymond, for the ownership to be like, hey, we'll lock you down. We, we want you, dude. Like, stay here. I think it was very validating for him to know that his, his hard work, um, you know, wasn't taken for granted. I mean, look at a guy like uh, Haslam. 
Giannis Haslam in Miami. That dude's been there for what, the last 75 years? And part of, as a fan, you go there and you look like, that's that guy. You know, that's that guy who, you know, is kind of the, the general who keeps everybody in check you know, in the locker room. Having Draymond in your locker room um, and on the floor, you know there's no nonsense happening unless he's doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's perfect. You know, Steph and Clay aren't the most vocal guys, so they can kind of, you know, whisper, psst, psst, Draymond, Draymond's like, hey, everybody, listen up. So it's great having that kind of bodyguard there. Um, so, yeah, losing Draymond would have been crushing next year, especially because, like, how many other Draymonds in the league? Like, okay, there's one thing I have to say about Draymond that uh, I was shocked by. Why was Pascal Siakam giving him the business in the finals? That kind of hurt my heart. Did y'all see that? Like, Pascal Siakam was kind of giving him that work, which I was I was kind of surprised by because I didn't know Pascal was that good. Um, I mean, if we didn't have Draymond, the person I wanted to replace him is Pascal. <laughs> yeah, I think Pascal surprised everybody. To be fair, I uh, I don't I'm not blaming too much uh, of anything on Green. I think he is one of the greatest defenders in NBA history, and you know possibly the best. I've seen some a case. Someone wrote a case for why he's the best defender of all time, and it was a pretty persuasive one. And I'll also say uh, that four year hundred million deal. That's a hell of a bargain. That's a hell of a bargain for Draymond Green, a guy that I think easily is going to give you max value, uh, easily could have gotten a max deal, deal elsewhere. Um, so speaking on these contracts, that's probably, aside from the, the D'Lo move, which we discussed, uh, probably the most important stuff from this offseason for the Warriors were were the deals, were the, the contracts. And we probably should include D'Lo in that as well because I believe he got the four-year max that he could receive uh, mm-hmm. And then Clay got it. We get you guys got no uh, no discount for Clay. I believe <laughs> the full five year one ninety with the torn ACL that surprised me a little bit. Is that crazy? You were surprised that he got the max. I'm surprised that he got the full five year max in his thirties coming off the ACL tear. Yeah, when there when there is such a good case for a hometown discount. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I think the Warriors ownership is trying to prove that they'll spend the money, you know, and for the Splash Bros who have been there from the very beginning, you know, as well as Draymond. But, you know, the the Splash Bros have basically defined the team, you know, Um, they defined the three point era to have two guys who can just go back to back and just light you up like Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith and Men in Black. It's just ridiculous um and i think that the clay's demeanor he's never complained he's never started a mutiny about touches even when kevin durant came and it was like oh it's only one ball and clay's like i'm gonna keep doing me and that includes playing lockdown defense i mean he's on james harden he's on russell westbrook and he never complains he never is like well why can't steph guard somebody like he, he just doesn't care he's going through the balls and i feel like having um those foundational blocks there you got to cash out somebody, you know what I mean? They already gave Steph that super max deal. And then with Clay's coming, it's like, so you pay, you pay Steph, but you don't play Clay, the guy who is picking up all the defensive assignments on the wing. If Iguodala wasn't doing it, I mean, you, you got to pay for that. And as much as I love Draymond, um, and what he brings to the team, like no one, okay. I don't, I don't want to say that there are some crazy franchises out there, but I don't think folks are going to be like, look, dude, here's the super max for you, bro. Like it wasn't going to happen. You know what I mean? But with Clay Thompson, there was hella teams, including the Los Angeles Lakers who would have been like, ah, uh, they're not going to pay you. We got you. 
Um, so I, I believe that Clay Thompson made it pretty clear in the, in, in the going up to the season that he was looking to get paid out for his efforts. So when you get the, the hometown L.A. team salivating a chance to add a super sniper, I think it was a no-brainer to ensure that Clay didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, all the other sacrifices on the court, I guess the one that he's not going to make is in his bank account, and it's deserved. One question, you know, we're going to get into these little bit of smaller signings, but one thing I'm curious about before we get into these guys and kind of figure out what their roles are is what feels like the starting five before Clay comes back. Um, usually we get to it a little bit later, but I feel like it would help to do now. I have Steph, Russell, Dre, and Looney, and then who is that wing? It's uh, a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've heard folks talking about uh, just going super big and putting like uh, Dre at the three, and because he handles the ball so much anyway, and just going a straight defense and um, just having you know Steph and D'Lo just go ham as far as the rest of the scoring responsibilities because that would be a pretty imposing front line to score on. So I wonder if they will go that route. Um, I wonder, um, but if not. <sighs> I don't know, man. I mean, Kenny? you got Glenn Robinson III, you got Alec Burke, who, uh, two guys who can play the ball, you know, athletic guys, guys who can run the floor. You also have Alfonso McKinney, who's already been in the system. Um, I'm, I'm going to guess that they're, they're going to have a, a, a competitive offseason. And, um, you know, when training camp starts, they're going to have folks prove that they can get the job. I don't think, you know, Coach Kerr is already put it in stone what it's going to be. Um, because quite frankly, as much as I love McKinney, um, you know, there is certainly some holes to his game, uh, offensively and defensively that if we can get someone who can, uh, carry that load a little better, I wouldn't mind him stepping up and t- taking that spot. Uh, Glenn Robinson, I like his athleticism. I like he, he can shoot the ball. Um, I think there's been some issues with decision making and maybe it comes with, you know, maybe not getting enough playing time to really get seasoned there. Um, but as far as like the NBA 2K potential, like if I was, you know, if he, if he was in my hands on, on the sticks, I would dominate with him because he can dunk <laughs> and shoot threes, you know. But, you know, as far as the offense goes and defense goes in the real life game, you know, he's shown a tendency to maybe get lost a couple of times. And uh, maybe with the, the coaching staff here, that can help. The same thing with uh, Burke. Uh, so it's kind of a toss up there, but if you're asking me who I would want to go with, um, I would love, uh, Glenn Robinson to be out there just because of that athleticism and, uh, that three ball there. I think he's a pretty good pick. It sounds like Brendan has a little bit more interest in the end of this rotation than I do. Uh, usually I'm, I'm pretty into this stuff, but I am not super inspired by, what you guys got, uh, you know, after the top seven or eight guys, uh, we can kind of group them together. <laughs> I'm just being honest about it. You know, I, I think I, I'm intrigued by pool, but I think he's a little bit of a reach. Uh, you know, Pascal there's, I'm actually, I am, I am a little bit intrigued by Pascal, but, uh, Smilogic, I don't know enough about to be excited about Burks. We saw here in Sacramento and really almost immediately, uh, found his way out of the rotation. I mentioned Evans earlier. Uh, I guess we haven't really talked much about Looney, but I think that's a, a great deal at three years, 15. Um, any other observations on, on the, these guys I just mentioned? Hey, Smilogy is a, is a problem, dude. I saw him up close and personal in the summer league. Dude got a, a edge to him. Like, it seems like he's about to fight everybody. <laughs> and, uh, he's, a uh, very confident. Like he, he had the green light and he was taking it. 
Um, he was also getting to the paint and banging. I mean, there was a little bit of issue with his touch, which should be expected. I mean, he's a rookie, um, but he's definitely fearless. I can see his, him banging his way into the rotation just by pure grit. Um, so definitely keep your eyes on Smash Smiley Jeech. Um, as far as the other guys, we we'll have to wait and see, man. We we'll have to wait and see because you know I remember when I, I think it was like 2000, 2015? I think it was the year we won the champion the first time. The team got Ben Gordon on the uh, the uh, 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 what you call it? Jesus, I can't think of the word. The part before the season starts, the um, the training camp squad. We had Ben Gordon. I was like, oh snap, that's a great name. Like this dude's gonna kill it off the bench and he didn't make the team. You know what I mean? So. There's a little bit of that in the roster fringe rotation stuff where you're not even sure. I mean, even last year, Jonas Jerebko had a pretty stellar uh, regular season and a playoffs hit, and he kind of just got, you know, played off the floor. So um, I love Damian Lee because he's related to the, the Currys. That's, that's always a plus. Um, he's a shooter. But I don't know about his ability to be versatile, um, and his green light is – like ultraviolet green. Um, so I, I don't know if he'll stay on the floor with his shot selection. Um, but I can definitely understand maybe the great excitement uh, over the um, the end of the roster. But I think when you have Steph, Dre, and Looney, and D'Lo, the workload for those guys is going to be lessened to the point that if you can't play on this team, you probably can't play. Yeah. And, you know, you left one name out here. Uh, you know, Mo Spites issue was Spates issue was a little bit of weight. I feel like here you got a go. bigger Moe Spates, you know, Maury oh, Spellman Maury. here. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> he said bigger Moe Spates. <laughs> hey, He's you a more shoot the ball. than Caleb Swanigan. We'll <laughs> <laughs> That's a big boy. That's a big boy out there. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, well, hey, we, we know this. Those guys will never see a double team as long as steps on the floor. So make it work, guys. <laughs> you know, I, I heard that that was part of it, too, is that uh, basically because the Warriors had picked up an auction on uh, Damian Jones, that trading for Spellman was actually like saved them a couple like, you know, $10,000. <laughs> when that was actually like necessary. <laughs> it was that small. The margins were that small, uh, which is tough with this team. But. You know, like you said, I, I think that probably better you have four superstars than you have, uh, you know, just 10 solid rotation players. And no one is worried about the Warriors in terms of, you know, real talent, overall talent. It's not that they're lacking for that. But uh, with all that in mind, we've got the rotation pretty much down here. Uh, we've got the projected starting lineup from you uh, with the perhaps the per- exception of small forward, which is going to be... Up in the air. So let's a talk about crap shoot. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about uh, how well you think this team will perform in terms of wins and losses next year. The over under uh, consensus over under from the betting sites uh, based out of Vegas is forty seven wins. Does that feel about right to you? Or are you going over or under? Ooh. Ah. Ah. Ooh. That's tough, man. Um. Mm. If Clay was healthy, I'd say go ahead and give 55, 54 all tops. But him being gone is huge. Like you said before, the workload on Steph is going to be tremendo. Um, I've got this team stealing 50 wins. And I only say that just because if you look at the record of what Steph Curry has done over his career, um, especially since the 
the dynasty era began. Just having Steph Curry on your team just guarantees you wins just because the man pulls so much gravity. Like, he just warps defense so, defense so much that if he has anyone else on the court who can make a shot and make a play, your defense is pretty much cooked. You know what I mean? It's not like he's going to be playing, like, you know, the Clippers every single night. There's a lot of trash teams out there, a lot of mediocre teams. So um, I feel like I would take the over there. Um like, if the team, you know, won 50 games, I wouldn't be like, whoa, what a shock. I'd be like, well, yeah, they do have, you know, Steph and Draymond and D'Lo. Like, let's not forget those are three all-stars. Remember back in the day when, like, having two all-stars was like, oh, this team's going to the finals guaranteed. And now, like, the Warriors have three with four on the way. And it's like, ah, you know, I don't know if they can make it, which I just think is a, a gross undervaluing of the talent of these guys. Um, over time, we've seen the more all-stars you have, the more likely that you can, you know, gobble up regular season wins. Um, I mean, hell, okay, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but how many wins did the Rockets have last year? Do, do we know? How many 53. wins did the Rockets got? 53? Yes. 53 wins with James Harden dribbling in place 20 seconds out of the shot clock. Incredible, right? So I'm pretty sure Steph Curry can get you 50 wins. Yeah, and I will say, you know, 47 wins would have been in that Sacramento spot. And you would be a nine seed last season, but 50 wins right. gets you up to a five seed. Um, I do feel like Golden State makes the playoffs. I feel like it's a little crazy to say they don't. I understand it with the depth issues. Steph Curry's going to have an MVP, t- MVP type year. You're going to have okay defense. I think Draymond's not going to let people not give the effort. Once you reach the playoffs, do you feel like this team can still go all the way and win the chip next year? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially considering how the injuries are these days. I mean, who are you looking at out the West? Like the the most terrifying thing to me, I guess, is the Clippers, especially since the rumor to get Andre Gadala. I mean, they're, they're scary just because that uh that two headed monster of Paul George and Kawhi is just problematic regardless. But then you give them Lou Will, P Bev, Harold, like Okay, the, the Clippers gave the Warriors trouble in the first round last year without the two extra superstars. So now you're giving them, you know, two um, all-star, all-NBA type players in addition to that. They're going to be a problem. Um, but Kawhi Leonard, you know, yeah, been through a lot, a lot of treading those tires. We don't know if he'll be healthy. We don't know. And as we've seen last year in the finals, health is a huge part of it. Look at the Lakers, LeBron, Anthony Davis. Those guys uh, have had some pretty serious recent injury issues. I mean, LeBron went a whole career before he got hurt, but then he got hurt. He's getting older. There's a lot uh, uh, turn those tires too. Um, if it was, if it's a dead heat with the way that the team is now with Steph and Clay and Dre, I'm picking them every single time. I don't care who they're playing. I think we saw that last year against the Houston Rockets when people had written the Warriors off for dead, um, and they came up big and got the job done against the Houston Rockets. Where everyone was like, oh, that's the crypt tonight. Got the job done, folks did not have the Warriors win that series, and they got the job done in Houston. So how can you pick against those three? How can you do it? Um, but again, that depends on how Clay comes back and how Steph holds up. So, um, shoot, um, I definitely think they can go all the way, for sure. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, they're definitely. It's weird to say that the Warriors are kind of a sneaky team to win the whole thing after what it's been six years in the finals and being favorites for most of those years. Um one sort of different direction of question I have, the Chase Center just opened today. And Rich and I kind of grew up around the Warriors. We know, you know, there's a very loyal fan base there. Oracle got the Roracle nickname for a reason. It would get so loud in there. But recently, you saw a lot of suits 
instead of uh, instead of jerseys in the stadium with Silicon Valley really taking off, the team being great, ticket prices going up. How do you think moving to San Francisco affects that? It also feels like you might be moving away from the diehard fan base a little bit as well. Do you think that that has any sort of impact? Man, um, I think it's going to be huge. Um, I think it's going to be huge because uh, when the Warriors were trash, as you guys definitely remember growing up in the day, that fan base was still so rocking and so live that you could trot out a lineup with, you know, uh, Derek Fisher and Baron Davis <laughs> and still be like, hey, they'll be in it to, you know, in, until the end just because the crowd was just so lit. And uh, as you can tell, even with the Warriors last couple years, um, the the first two or three years of, of a dynasty run was so crazy because the Warriors fans brought that atmosphere kind of that we believe love. But when they started winning and the prices went up and became a hot ticket and the fans left – it became more of a, as my friend Alan Gordon would say, it was more of a, a, a hip club to join. You know what I mean? It was more like, oh, this is the, the cool place to lounge and hang out. And I I feel like, although the, the, the entertainment value was so high, you, you had to price it the way they did. On the flip side, when folks are there just to chill and lounge and pull their phones out and, and be seen there, as opposed to realizing that, that their energy actually affects the crowd their energy uh sorry that's right their, their energy affects the players on both sides when you've got the, the crowd going you know bananas and you know ape shit for you know a good defensive play and draymond is screaming and like it's just ringing in there and you can see the other team start to crack like oh my god like this is, this is too much too much energy against them but when the, the crowd's only cheering for steph curry threes and then you know nothing else the players aren't as engaged they just aren't and as a result the other team's players get the momentum off of that because they feel like okay the crowd's not into it the players aren't into it we we can still win here now if you look at it, the warriors record last year on the road was superior to the home record why is that because the other team's fans were so loud and so crazy like we hate golden state we're gonna boo the mess out of them and the warriors were like oh really oh you're gonna boo us the champs okay we're gonna smash your team in front of you so they they got that kind of energy going so I'm sure on the road, those will be pretty, you know, terrifying. But at home, when you're looking at a situation where it's like, hey, you know, bring in the, the Google squad to come take some pics, you know, for my IG, um, it's going to be hard to drum up that kind of uh, support. And uh, I can only, only hope that the team is professional enough um, and hungry enough on their own to get it done. Um, but I don't expect them to have the same Oracle feel, although that doesn't uh, mean that Chase can't be rowdy and, and loud for sure. And I have high hopes for Chase, but in just in terms of what I know about Oracle and um, what it was and what it turned into, it's going to be tough to uh, duplicate that same feeling. Yeah, it's really rough. And you are speaking my language. I, uh, I am an admitted, uh, I grew, I grew up a Warriors fan. I grew up in the Bay area and, uh, I am one of those people that listen. I I changed franchises in many ways. I uh, it's tough to talk about this sort of thing because there's so much negative connotation put on that. Uh, I've always taken solace in knowing that I was a reverse band reverse bandwagoner where I <laughs> stopped liking them after the first championship. Uh, but regardless, I mean, it doesn't matter. I, you know, I cover the Kings from. I try to cover the Kings from a journalistic perspective and less of a fan perspective. So, you know, now maybe I can just say I'm, I'm not technically a fan of anything. I, 
But I, I do, if I could choose a team to win the championship this year, it would be the Kings. So I guess that does make me a fan. I don't know how it all works. It's it's all complicated. <laughs> but but you were speaking my language because uh, the first ever jersey that I owned was uh, a Mookie Blaylock. Wow. That's right. Yeah, I was thir- 13 years old when I got that one for my birthday. And yeah, I saw uh, Gilbert Arenas come and go. Uh, I The first game I went to, I think... I don't know. I don't know if Donald Foyle started a lot of games, but I'm pretty damn sure I was the first game I ever went to. Donald Foyle was the starting center, uh, and Troy Murphy. You mentioned earlier in the podcast that was a big. Uh, I mean, he was shooting 40 percent from three, and that was like unheard of from centers. And really, right. in, really into that dude, uh, and obviously Monte as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a. It's been a crazy journey. And I, it's been far moved. Although I do occasionally still get tickets from a family friend who's got, who had amazing uh, row one season tickets in Oracle. I don't think that he's got them in uh, in the new Chase Center. So you know everything is changing. But you know, speaking on that, uh, the, this end of an era. So you know, really, I, I think that it's fair to say that uh, it's tough because you, there are still like those guys. I mean, Steph Curry's been there. Forever, I think he's one of the longest tenured players on any team yes. uh, in the entire league. So, and, and that's a gift. N- very few franchises get a guy who is an unquestionable, unanimous MVP, an unquestionable Hall of Famer, and they get him from the first game of his career to the last game of his career. I don't want to like jinx you guys, but that's pretty. You know, I'm I'm confident in in saying that's how it's going to go down. Uh, yeah, but things are changing, man. And I want you to try the last the last question we generally ask is projecting not only to this season, but forward maybe three to five years. Uh, you know, can you project out to us what you – give us a forecast of three to five years down the road because, you know, I, I don't want to give your answer for you, but I, I feel like it's going to get kind of rough. Is that is – would you agree with that? <sighs> well, uh, hmm. I mean, I guess we got to define what rough is because you were there. You saw the rough days. I don't think in three years it's going to be a Donald Foyle, Troy Murphy rough. So I guess I have a sense of gratitude that you probably can relate to, which is um, I don't think we're going to go back to winning 25 games a year and scrolling through, you know, the the, the draft prospects in February. <laughs> um, but in terms of, you know, five straight final trips, will it be three more in a row? That's going to be rough. You know what I mean? I don't know if they can just straight up say, you know what, finals, let's do this every year. But, I mean, goodness gracious, when you look at the San Antonio Spurs, like, those guys never went back-to-back, um, and they're still considered a dynasty to this day, 20-year run. And it was, why? Because they had Tim Duncan, point blank. They had Tim, Tim Duncan, and he, as long as he was there, you were thinking they were part of a dynasty. Even when they weren't the most competitive, you still kind of had to watch out because you never knew if they could conjure up some of that old Spurs magic and shock you. Um, I mean, a lot of folks, um, when they went toe to toe with Miami, you know, in those two back to back years, I remember, I think it was like 2011, 2012, people were like, oh, Spurs are done. It was a good run in 2012. And they went to the finals two more times off that. You know what I mean? So when I look at what the Warriors are now with their three core guys going to their, um, that 30 year, uh, threshold, and you got, uh, Looney and Ingram who are in their early twenties. Um, if there was ever a team that could duplicate that Spurs magic, you have to point to the Warriors. You know what I mean? Um, I think that 
we may have taken for granted the greatness of that core three. Um, we have the two greatest shooters in the history of the game um, with arguably the greatest defensive player in the history of the game. And you're saying, I mean, not you, but people are saying, ah, you know, they might be done. Dude, back in, you know, the We Believe era, I thought Baron Davis, Steven Jackson, Al Harrington, Monte Ellis, and uh, uh, who was that other dude? Um, oh, God. It wasn't for Al Harrington. Did you get Harrington? Cl- Is it Beadrant? Uh Cliff Robinson Beadrant. was on some. Beadrant, the <laughs> guy from Latvia, the Latvia sensation. Yeah. I thought that team was like like a oh, dream yeah. team. I was like, oh man, these guys are too raw. Like, oh, sh- they'll never lose again, you know. <laughs> and they weren't that great, but they won a playoff series. And you know, my my brain was like, this guy's limit. Replace those with Steph Clay and Dre. Like, I'm I'm going to take Steph Clay and Dre anytime over those guys. I'm going to love them to death. So, um, in terms of rough. I don't think it'll be rough unless it's uh, injury riddle, which no one can predict. But if we're looking at the Spurs dynasty as kind of the barometer of what's possible when you have um, MVP um, guys surrounded by um, future Hall of Famers, um, I mean, I just feel like they're going to be in, in, in the mix as long as Steph Curry can shoot. Well, yep. and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. Stephen Jackson is twice the warrior, uh, twice the warrior Steph Curry ever will be. <laughs> <laughs> but watch uh, a lot more people than Steph, that's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. Did you have anything else, Renan? Yeah, you know. Before you even mention Beadrins, I was gonna throw this out there. If the Warriors win the chip, I'm putting this out there right now. I will get the Beadrins dyed hair and spikes for at least a couple days. Hey, because that was quite the haircut. <laughs> there we go. That's what I'm talking about. We gotta bring it back. But no, that like that's that. all I got for you. Is there anything else that you feel like we missed out on, Daniel? Maybe any questions you want to throw our way? Yeah, certainly. Um uh last year the Sacramento Kings had their highest win total since I believe the 2006 season when it was like Brad Miller, Paige Stoyakovich, and Bonzi Wells. Um how optimistic are you guys in uh Kings country? Very, I think, is is the honest answer, but it's it's mixed because, you know, as you mentioned and as everyone in the universe, the NBA universe has mentioned, the West is absolutely and utterly stacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think that – I don't think that collectively, at least I just speak for myself, I'm not – I feel like it's, uh, you know, a less than 50% chance, honestly, that the Kings made the playoffs this year. But I'm not so much concerned about that because the trajectory is so obviously pointing in the right direction. I mean, Fox is 21, Bagley is 20. Uh, you know, if Giles comes around, this those are that's three incredibly important pieces. Uh, you know, 21 years or younger. Uh, Buddy gained a year last year. Uh, you know, but uh, you know somehow, but it's still 27. Uh, Bogdanovich and uh, Barnes also 27 you know I mean this is that's a that's a great young core I mean I'm not so much including the 27 year olds as the young part but that's your you know those guys can be your vets and you've got the young core coming up behind them and and by the way while we mentioned Barnes here real quick I know it's been you know ages since Barnes was a warrior but uh, I mean what was your impression of him and, and do you think that in his short time with Sacramento, are you uh, are you liking what you see? Um, as a Warriors fan, watching Barnes grow, it felt like we were so thirsty for his potential that we may have come away disappointed with 
the actuality of where he was. And quite frankly, it was a difficult position for HB um, in certain senses because there wasn't a ton of touches to go around. So if you aren't like a hyper-efficient sniper like Kevin Durant who can take like 13 shots and get like 25, you know what I mean? Like it could be tough to kind of get your rhythm going. And, um, you know, HB's always had kind of a, a mechanical dribble package, um, kind of predictable. Um, he hasn't always been dedicated on taking all the athleticism and turning it into rim runs. He more like settles for those mid range jumpers, which is fine. You know, if you're, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, Michael Jordan from the Tar Heel alma mater, or even Sean Livingston, but HB hasn't um, shown that he can dominate a game from those areas there. So, I, I was always wondering, what's HB's game? Um, I really enjoyed him on the defensive end as a small ball uh, four. I mean, the, the dude was going, you know, banging with Zebo, which was at the time unheard of. So I loved him for that. But in terms of um, his playmaking ability, um, I'm pretty sure his assists haven't gone up since he's left Golden State. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure um, he's not uh, getting to the rim with a higher frequency. So it's kind of like what you saw then is kind of what you're getting now except maybe he feels like he deserves more touches because he's a vet um i think he's a great guy i think he's a a a solid human being um all the teammates have always loved him but after having you know which is maybe spoiling but the, the kevin durant experience there's a certain part of me that feels like he's he's kind of left some stuff on the table developmentally um and so when I see him with the Kings, I'm always intrigued because you've got guys who are so full of potential and it's like, damn, like, you know, back these post games are ridiculous. And like, oh, Giles can stretch the floor a little bit. And, you know, Fox, you know, he's so fast, but his change of pace game, this dude can be better than John Wall. And of course, but Buddy Hill getting the complete game. And you look at HB, it's like, okay, solid, um, wing player, can defend multiple positions, can knock down an open jump shot. And if he gets comfortable, you know, he can, you know, hit some, you know, some tough twos. But um, his style of play doesn't lend itself to a taking over the game status, which I think we hope for in the Golden State. Like, you know, when we lost to the Cavaliers in 2016, HB was getting all the open looks he could ask for and basically came up, you know, as a zero on that end with, with the, 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 the season on the line. So I do have a sour taste in my mouth from that. And, Maybe it's not necessarily his fault. I'm sure he was standing in the corner all day and waiting for your shot can be tough. But at the same time, I feel like if HB had shown the developmental um, uh, ability that he, you know, his potential kind of begged for, he'd probably still be with the Warriors potentially. Um, and considering the fact that Andre Iguodala had to go to the bench because Harrison Barnes could not anchor the bench units. He couldn't carry the bench units. And it's like, well, dude, like, so you, you, you can only function with the starters, but that's not good enough for you because you need more touches. But when we give you the touches on the bench unit, you're flustered because you can't get your shot off and you're not really a playmaker. So it's like, well, then what do you want? And you want a max deal too? You got to go, bro. You got to go. Um, so I'm very fascinated to see what he's going to do in uh, Sacramento going forward. Um, I'm really curious to see what your impressions of him are so far. I didn't get the impression of him really demanding touches. He felt like an unselfish guy and he really feels like an elite role player and exactly what you would want. Um, I do think that being in Dallas, obviously rich actually had a good piece on it about um, him being in a role that wasn't for him there. He's not exactly a creator on offense like you got into, but I think mm-hmm. that uh, one of the sneaky things that we still didn't get to see that much in Sacramento is I think he's 
quietly fairly athletic. And I think running in transition is going to do well for him there as well. But mm-hmm. being a three and D guy, you know, hitting 40% from deep, his defense is very underrated there. Um, you have a very good point about, you know, the development maybe wasn't fully there. And I wonder how much of it was what he was asked to do didn't really fit him in Dallas. Mm-hmm. But I personally love what we have going in Bards. I think he's a great fit for everything that Sacramento is doing. Do you want to, Talk, cut, touch on that a little bit, Rich. Yeah, um, I, I I feel I'm very high on Barnes as far as in the in the small role that I feel that he best fills for the Kings. I did write about it. It's uh, a piece I spent a lot a lot of time on and wrote a lot of words on. Uh, I think it does a really good job explaining why I like him much more in Sacramento than it does, than I did in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really because everything is almost identical to how he was with the Warriors. I mean, down to his usage percentage to the to the percentage, the tenth of a percent is exactly what it was in Golden State. You know, which is you know uh, almost half of what it was in Dallas. It's just not the type of player that he is. He's not a first option guy. He's not a guy who should be taking sixteen shots a game. These guys should be taking more like nine, you know, at most, which is what he did in Golden State. And, you know, you mentioned that he's a good, you know, role playing three and D type of guy. And that's that's what I want out of him. That's what I think the Kings want out of him. So, you know, he's not a superstar, but he's for what the Kings need, which is a, a guy that can defend multiple positions and shoot the three. That that's that's what he is. And that's it's going to work out great, I think. Don't you guys have a uh, Trevor Reza as well? We do. We do. It's a lot of money, but, uh, you know, it's it's not long term and we got a little while before we play the young guys. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And I think that uh, that the HB Trevor uh, defensive combo could be super crucial, especially with the in the Pacific Division, the small four you have to deal with. Um, I do like HB as a guy and I think that defensively he's solid. But I just, you know, you got to think back to a time when I I thought this guy was going to be like uh who do I think it's going to be more like? I would see HB more as a Scotty Pippen type prototype from the hype that was going there. Where like he'll develop his game, he'll get a better feel. And it was weird watching. Like it's like he never got the feel. You know, he, he always stayed kind of clunky with it. So when you're kind of hoping, you know, a guy who's like expecting max money to look like a max player, I think that was the frustration. I think. On a discount, HB's great, but for the money he was looking for, I feel like there was there's no way the Warriors should have paid him that. So I think it's great they found a home where, you know, his salary cap um, uh, deal isn't like crippling you guys in any way. And because you have young guys, they have a chance to build and learn from his veteran leadership. I think he's a great leader. Um, so I would just be interested to see because at a certain point, you know, when the when the, when the game's on the line and the ball goes to HB, I just have so little faith that something good is going to happen that I wonder. Um, what his future will be like with Sacramento. Yeah. And that's a great point too, because the Kings aren't looking for him to take the go ahead three in game seven type of situation. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I, they're looking for a player that can play, you know, 80 games and knock down 39% of his shots. And it doesn't necessarily need to be in clutch moments so much as just your everyday starter type of type of looks. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that, We've done a good job of covering Barnes. I think we've done a good job of covering 
the Warriors and all their moves and a good job of covering even uh, Donald Foyle and uh, <laughs> and Troy Murphy. But uh, we want to we want to get you out of here and we want to uh, make sure that uh, we plug your stuff. Make sure that you get a chance to to tell everyone where to read your writing. Uh, Daniel is at D Hardy. That's H A R D E E underscore S B N on Twitter. And where can they read your stuff? Yeah, so I write for uh, the Warriors blog on uh, SB Nation. That'd be Golden State of Mind. Um, you know, your your number one stop for all your Warriors needs. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty much there. We got some podcasts there as well. Um, it's a good time, man. Um, our our fan base is, is pretty lit. Our comment section is always pretty hyped. Um, so yeah, if you want to check it out, I'll be there pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah, man. Again, again, we appreciate you coming on and. Uh... Hope the best for the Warriors. I'm definitely going to be keeping a close eye on them. It should be entertaining. But that's all we got for you. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple days.